So today we are in Advent joy. And doesn't this passage just sum up how life is? In Luke 2, we'll read from, from verse 30. This is Simeon that we read about last week talking to Mary about prophesying about Christ and what he would do uh, in the world. Simeon, an older man who uh, was kind of in the temple praying, seeking God, a prophet, and God gave him the inside scoop on what he was doing. It's a huge encouragement to spend time with God because God speaks to those who care, right? So Simeon is talking and he says, and we'll say verse 29, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory for your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And the sword will pierce your own soul too. Isn't that kind of how it is uh, in life? The most amazing joys and things um, are often coupled with very painful realities. Here Jesus was prophesied to be bringing salvation and light to the Gentiles. And by the way, the rising and falling of many people. And even a sword piercing his mother's soul. A sword piercing her soul. Sometimes the most amazing things that God does rise from the ashes. The greatest joys of life are accompanied by the greatest pain and disappointment imaginable. Joy and sorrow live in the same neighborhood many times. And sometimes joy and sorrow are strange roommates. They show up together. They live together. And sometimes out of the greatest sorrow comes the greatest joy. Mary's son is the savior of the world, the light for the Gentiles. That's joyful. You know, gospel actually means a proclamation of good news, of victory. But the roommate of that good news is a destiny for this baby Jesus to grow up and to cause a good old-fashioned ruckus. That's what I think. Shaking things up in a big way. The text says that he will cause a falling and a rising of many in the world. And from my vantage point, looking down the corridor of history, looking down the history of this church, and looking down the history of my own life, our own rising and falling, my own rising and falling, Jesus has caused a ruckus. He's shaken things up in our lives. He's shaken things loose. We all love a good story when the middle and the end are worked out. This time of year, a lot of you are watching Hallmark movies, and it's very predictable, and there's some funny stuff about that online, the, the formula that's followed. But we love these stories because we know how they're going to end. We know exactly how they're going to end. You could probably do a synopsis of all the movies with just a few sentences, right? We love a good story when the middle and the end are worked out, so all of the tension in the beginning isn't so tense and doesn't cause anxiety. 
But we are very uncomfortable when the beginning of the story is told and we are left with the anxiety of facing an uncertain fate, not knowing how the middle and the end are going to play themselves out. Just listen to this story based on a true story, which I've adapted from an author I like. He knew it was a gamble, but William always felt elated when he made substantial wins at the casino. And the luck went his way, all the way up until it didn't. He swore he was finished. He cut the losses he had, but then he stole from his business trying to win it back so that he wouldn't have to reveal his shame to his wife and his family. Does this feel like a comfortable story to you? The way I told it? No. Does the story have a better ending than, a, than beginning? Yes, it does. It has a better ending, praise God. But this little snippet is enough to drive you crazy and to leave you wondering about it as you try and pay attention to the sermon. What on earth happened with, with William? What happened to him? Here's the thing, though. This is the same, this story is the story of your life, of your life. You only know the beginning and maybe a little bit of the middle. That's all you know. But there is more to it and an end to be lived as well. Joy and sorrow, in the midst of it, li often live in the same neighborhood. And sometimes they're just strange roommates that live together. Courtney had done it before, but this time she made the choice for herself. She threw the bottles in the trash and pulled the trash can to the curb, where she'd return later when she couldn't sleep to dig through the food scraps and paper for one more last, last drink. This story has only a beginning, no middle, no middle and no end in sight. What's going to happen to Courtney? Does she recover from her addiction, or will she perish and drown in it? This story has a middle and an end, but you cannot see it yet. And for Courtney, neither could she in the midst of this. This story is also the story of your life. You only know the beginning, but there is a middle and there is an end. And some of that really does keep you up at night, some of your story right now. But there is more. There's more to our story. There's more for us. But joy and sorrow often dwell together. Mary was told that her little baby Jesus would be the Savior of the world, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of Israel. But she was also told that Jesus would cause the rising and falling of many in Israel, which is generally troubling to hear about your newborn baby, especially first-time mom, right? And a sword would pierce her soul. Pretend you don't know how the story ends, just for a moment. And all you have is this ominous beginning, being told these things about your little baby as you dedicate him at the temple. You are Mary, doing everything right, the best way you know how. And you get the news that you are going to suffer to the point of feeling that a sword has pierced your very soul. And soul is a word that's a translation of like your entire being, everything that makes you up. Um, that a sword would pierce everything that you are. Have you ever been pierced all the way through like that? 
by something that happened in life. It reminds me about Jesus when he was crucified and the centurions were trying to make sure that he was dead on the cross and they pierced through his side and a mixture of water and blood came out of our Savior Jesus. When Jesus died and the blood and the water came out of him, the blood symbolized redemption. He was offering redemption to anyone. And the water symbolized the impartation of life to deal with death for anyone who's thirsty for it. Have you been pierced all the way through like Mary was, like Jesus was? Our Savior was. And that water and the blood are a literal picture of joy mixed with sorrow, death mixed with life. Joy and sorrow live in the same neighborhood many times. And many times they are as close as being roommates in our lives. So how can we possibly have joy when all we have is this sort of shabby beginning and maybe part of the middle of our lives worked out and things seem to be going so badly? And even our prayers are ringing hollow as we cry out to God day and night. The answer is that you can have joy, you can actually rejoice because you do not know the ending of the story yet or even perhaps most of the middle. Some of you know more of the middle than others. But you don't know the end of the story. And it is the normal experience of every believer and follower of Jesus Christ to experience joy mixed with sorrow. This is not a message that's talked about a whole lot, but read the Bible with new eyes. Realize joy is mixed with sorrow all through Scripture. Paul goes as far as to say the creation is groaning, waiting for God to redeem it. And we ourselves are groaning inwardly, along with creation, feeling the pain of children that can't eat two meals. Like, that's one small injustice. But we, we have it in our own lives, in our own being, and all around us. We are suffering. And it's normal. The Christian life, it's good news for you. Joy mixed with sorrow. It's not everything is going great all the time. So you can rejoice because you do not know the ending of the story yet and because this is a normal experience. Psalm 35, uh, 30 verse 5, uh, uses this eloquent language where it says, For his anger lasts only a moment, his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Joy mixed with sorrow. Joy and sorrow are very close sometimes. So how do we live in this disturbing reality where we only know the beginning, maybe part of the middle, but haven't seen the end yet? How do we live when prayers don't seem to be answered to us and when death seems to be getting the last word? First, we need to recognize that Jesus came into this world um, cause it, and he shook things up big time. When Jesus came into the world, he instigated the falling and rising of many people. He is still doing that work to this day by his Holy Spirit in the world that we live in. People are still rising and falling because of Jesus. Not just world leaders, as we often like to think about in global politics, but in our own lives as well. A rising and a falling. I love the song that says, 
He lowers us to raise us that we might sing his praises. Whatever is his way, all is well. He makes us rich and poor that we might trust him more. No matter what his way is, all is well. Jesus is causing the falling and rising of many people by his Holy Spirit, and he's also doing it with us. And sometimes when we are humbled by the suffering of life, or even suffering we bring on ourselves, which is a lot of the suffering that we experience, um, Jesus is not outside of that. Jesus, and this is something I have to remind myself of. Jesus is not off to the side waiting for me to get my act together. Jesus is in that. He's in the rising and the falling. He's in the humbling. He's in that. And he's doing something in our lives. And when he came to this world, he started this process of shaking things up all around us. Jesus was not just a, a baby as he developed inside of Mary's womb. N.T. Wright says this quote, In Jesus, God's new world was also being born out of the womb of the old world. So in Jesus, God's new world, what's called the kingdom of God, was being born out of the womb of the old world that we live in. So Jesus came, he started shaking things up. And one day, there will be a new heaven and a new earth, and this work will be completed. But until then, we, 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 we seek the kingdom of God and we seek this work that he is doing to join in with it as it goes forward. Because God has an end for this creation that we live in. We do know the end of the story for believers. When all of this rising and falling and unsettling work is completed, for every believer in Christ, the ending is summarized as follows in 1 Peter 5, 10 to 11. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Let this sink in. If you believe in Christ, th listen to this promise. The God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. What is this saying? The end is certain. Troubles last for night. The joy comes in the morning. Jesus' death was the precursor to his victory over death on the cross. The most hopeless thing imaginable. And the same spirit that raised Christ to life will also give life to your mortal bodies. Like the same power that raised Christ to life. These are the promises that we cling to. Francis Chan does an excellent illustration where he, he pulls out a giant rope, which our budget is not too great, so we can't buy a giant rope to make one point. But he takes this rope and he, he puts a little uh, bit of tape on the end of it. And he goes, this rope is eternity and this is your present life. This little tiny chunk of the rope. Now everything that happens here is a very small amount because God who called us to his eternal glory in Christ, after we've suffered a little, will restore us and make us strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Does that make joy raise up in your soul to think that no matter what life throws at you? First of all, so that suffering is kind of normal and joy is often mixed with suffering. You're not a freak Christian. You're not a freak Christian if you feel like your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. That's very normal. But isn't it nice to know that ultimately God is not outside of that suffering, but he's usually in it, 
shaking things loose and shaking things up by his Holy Spirit, and that ultimately he has an end in mind. He has a goal in mind for each person. Um, and that is, that's good stuff. Listen to this passage from 1 Corinthians 13, 12 to 13. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Now we see, I love the translation, in a glass darkly. We see in a, a, a darkened mirror, just very unclear in this life, in this little inch of the rope of eternity. But then we will see face to face, meaning face to face with Christ. And we will know him even as we are fully known by him. That's a remarkable thought to consider. What's the greatest human echo of this that's available? Um, when you have something very heavy on your heart and you just release it to somebody, say, this is what's going on, really. And, um, and they, then they fully know you. They fully know what's going on with you. And then they still love you and pray for you. That's a little teeny reflection of what it's going to be like to see Jesus face to face. You'll know him fully even as he fully knows you. Everything you've ever done, everything you're ashamed of, everything that's in the dark. For the Christian, when they get to see Jesus and they see clearly, they will know him even as he fully knows them. It's like the definition of intimacy with God and love. That's why all that remains after that is faith, hope, and love. You know, game over. It's going to be the greatest thing in the world. Maybe you're just, uh, maybe you're someone that has never shared your darkness with somebody else and, and experienced that. Well, it's an amazing, amazing gift to be able to do that, to feel a little bit of what God's love is for us. So how are we to live when we know the beginning of the story, we know the end of the story, I mean, a little bit of the middle of the story. First, we recognize we only know part of the story, but that God knows the whole thing. I love it when our, our pastoral elder, Jason Harmon, preached from Isaiah 46, 10. I have, this is God speaking. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. I say, my purpose will stand. I will do all that I please. So for this reason, because we have a God that knows the end, we can, as Romans 12, 12 says, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. No matter how hopeless your life may feel or look today, to yourself or to other people, no matter how you feel, you do not know the end from the beginning like God does. But the Holy Spirit within you, who knows the mind of Christ, does understand these things. Which really leads to the final thought that we can have about our relationship with God, and that's that life without God is truly hopeless. It truly is. It's so deeply, darkly hopeless. Life apart from God, without God, death is death. 
without God, death is death. And maybe you could say death is like amplified. Death is death. Sickness is sickness. The final word. Suffering is suffering. But with a relationship with God, who knows the end from the beginning, death always leads to life for every believer in Christ. Sorrow may visit the believer for a season, for a night, but joy always comes in the morning with Christ. always comes in the morning. And we know that the God of all grace who called us to eternal glory in Christ, after we've suffered a little while, will restore us and make us strong, firm, and steadfast. For he has the power to do that. The life without God is hopeless. The Christ-following life, the Christian life, is not easy, but it is hopeful. And it's even joyful. It's even joyful. And the good news is that living, uh, th- though, though it's a, it can be a difficult journey following Christ, is not complicated. It's not even as complicated as we make it, living with Christ. Walking and working out the story of your life is spelled in Scripture, A-B-I-D-E, abide. Abide in Jesus. Dwell with Jesus. Live with Jesus. And this dwelling is not actually burdensome. It's not even as burdensome as we make it. The only spiritual orphans that exist in the world are the ones who refuse to be adopted. Can you imagine that? Who don't hear the message that God is wanting to adopt people into his kingdom or or just refuse the invitation. Jesus wants to invite everyone into his family. And if you are not part of God's family already through faith in Christ, it's a free gift. He died on the cross to make a way for us to have a relationship with God. And all we need to do is accept the invitation he makes to us as he knocks on the door of our life. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. The only spiritual orphans that exist are ones that just refuse to be adopted. They don't want to be adopted. And and to that person, what can you really do? But God is so generous, so gracious, so loving. He invites the parables of Christ. It's a constant theme. I read it this morning. Um, He invites the people you'd expect to his party. They're busy. Ah, my son's getting married. I can't go this time. Oh, the field needs to be taken care of. Oh, you know, we're just tired. We've had a long, long weekend of travel, whatever it is. He's like, okay, well, just invite everybody else then. And whoever is not too busy to come, come on in. That's kind of the message of Jesus' parables a lot of the time. And that's why he invited people that were on the periphery of society so often into his kingdom because they had the time of day for him. And they made themselves available to come to his party. And they were willing to humble themselves and put on the white garments of faith in Christ, believing in Christ to be a, be a recognized righteous guest. But the only, so as you accept this invitation, for you who are, who are already uh, believers and already believe this stuff, um, you have every reason to be filled with hope and joy. Because the one who knows the end from the beginning has a better end for you than you could possibly imagine. God does. Today, if you hear his voice, receive the spirit of Jesus Christ within yourself, which, he, which will give you life. And it really does make all the difference in your life to abide in Christ, to dwell with him. All that you have to do, it's simple, is to stay attached to the trunk of the tree. 
John 15 says, I am, I am the vine, you are the branches. That's it. And a friend of mine pointed out, you don't have to decide what fruit you will bear. You don't have to decide what color or shape of leaves you turn out. You don't even have to make sense of everything that happens in your life. You just have to stay connected to the tree. Because God has a plan for your life. And it's very possibly different from your plan. But there's not anxiety in it because he's the one that is um, calling the shots. We can't even bear fruit in ourselves. But God bears fruit in us as we abide in him. I loved, I loved the, the worship, worship time this morning, um, but just abiding in Christ together, thinking, no, what's he doing in us as we connect with him? We go upward. Let him do the work inwardly in us. What's he doing as we worship him? Really, you just need to hold on to Jesus in faith. Come what may. Whatever suffering comes your way. And God will do great things that change your story and lead you to the right ending to your story. And for this reason, we can have joy mixed with sorrow. Some of you I know are suffering through extended, sorrowful, difficult times. And I think God would say, just stick with me. Just stay connected to the trunk. No, you don't have the answers, and neither does your pastor. But I know the end from the beginning. So just stay connected. I will bear the fruit I want to bear. I will make the leaves come out that need to come out. We can have great joy in the midst of sorrow if we just simply abide in Christ. Abide with Christ. I'm going to invite uh, Ben up to uh, join me. Uh, I'm going to be read, end our sermon, our time today, reading John 16, 5 to 22. John 14, 15, and 16 are about the Holy Spirit and God sending the gift. Um, and Jesus talks about it. I really recommend that you read those during this Advent season to just see the potential of what God wants to do in your life, how God wants to realign your entire life by the work of his Spirit. But um, John 16, 5 to 22, it's a song of Christ for you and for his disciples. Just before Jesus went to the cross to perform the ultimate act and revelation of God's self-giving love for all people, Jesus attempted to tell his disciples about the hope and joy they would soon have as the Spirit came to dwell within them. You know, joy in the midst of suffering is what he was teaching them. He tried to teach them about the life of abiding in the Holy Spirit of Christ. After he as a person left them, he would send his very Spirit into his people. He's trying to teach us as well if we have ears to hear. So Ben and I are going to sort of um, improvise a little bit of reading and playing as I read this passage. I find with, um, with Scripture, we read it and it, we're sort of dead to the, the beauty of it and the meaning of it. And sometimes just doing it a little differently makes a big difference to hearing what God is saying. So that's what we're going to do today. And uh, Derek's going to put the words of that Scripture on the, on the screen so you can follow along. I encourage you just to close your eyes and let these words um, wash over you as we come to Jesus Christ himself, his very words to his people.
Now I am going to him who sent me. None of you asks me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin because people do not believe in me. About righteousness because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me, because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. Jesus went on to say, In a little while, you'll see me no more. And after a little while, you'll see me. In a little while, you will see me no more. And in a little while, you'll see me. At this, some of his disciples said to one another, what does he mean by saying, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me, and because I am going to the Father? They kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he's saying. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this, so he said to them, are you asking one another what I meant when I said, in a little while you will see me no more, and after a little while you will see me? Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will draw grief, but your grief will turn into joy. Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief. But I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. So with you, now is your time of grief. But I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take your joy away from you. This verse, this powerful but very gentle affirmation 
of joy coming through sorrow and out the other side. Like the sword that would pierce Mary's soul, like the tearing of the curtain that separated God's presence from the common people in the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle when Christ died. God's new world was born out of the womb of the old world. Jesus has come, and the Spirit of Christ is available to everyone. All we need to do is believe in him, as he says, receive his gift, and it will change our story. It will change our destination. is simple. Stay connected to the vine. Sorrow may last for a night. Sorrow may last for a season. But hold on to Christ. Hold on to him. Because joy is definitely coming in the morning. And the part of your story that you know might not be the most important part of your story. God wants to do new and different things. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. We thank you for your gifts. We thank you for your knowing the end from the beginning. We thank you that we, can, we are invited to cling to you in the midst of not knowing, in the midst of suffering, knowing that joy is coming in the morning. I pray for your people, God, for those who have recently put their faith in Christ or those who have been walking for a long time and maybe their love for you has grown cold. I pray that you would pour your spirit into every person here. That you would produce in us all of the things that we cannot produce ourselves. That we would learn how to live, to dwell with you, even as we pass through great difficulty. We thank you for sending Jesus, who offers us the gift of the water and the blood, of redemption for sins, and of the power to overcome death and the nourishment that we need. We thank you that you called yourself Emmanuel, God with us. So dwell in our hearts richly through faith as we walk through this season, Lord. Help us to turn and do the things we did at first with you, to connect with you, to dwell with you, to abide in you. Because we do believe that apart from you, apart from your empowerment, apart from the grace you give, we cannot produce anything. I want to pray for those who are going through very difficult times right now, Jesus, that you would pour out your grace upon them. That you would offer them a reminder of your steadfast love. And they'd be able to see what they're going through through the lens of eternity, through the lens of your shaking things up, to begin to see you in places where before they thought you could never be. We love you and we thank you for sending your son and for then coming again to dwell with us by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. You are dispersed to go and be the church. <laughs>